You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do praise you that you have revealed yourself and your grace to us in and through the person of Jesus. And we praise you that all of the scriptures bear witness to him. We pray now that as we turn to the reading and preaching of your word, that you would illumine us, illumine it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we would be those who don't just listen and walk away, that we would respond to your word with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. Great to see you on this... Um, it feels like spring in Canada today, doesn't it? Um, it's, but yet it is spring nevertheless. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. Um, it's also the fourth Sunday of Easter. Uh, we want to be people who are joyfully celebrating the full 50 days of Easter. And that's why we're doing this sermon series called Our Resurrection Hope, because we want to really go deep into the full, enormous, everlasting ever-reaching cosmic implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we're going to spend from now through the middle of June going deep in exploring the implications of the resurrection. So we're going to talk about how it affects our personal lives, how we handle suffering. Uh, it's going to, we're going to talk about how we understand our own physical bodies. We're going to talk about how, how the resurrection changes the way we relate to people who are culturally different than us. We're going to talk about how the resurrection changes the way we do our work, how we do justice, how we engage with the environment and creation care. We'll talk about what the resurrection means for life after death. We'll talk about what it means for the future destiny of planet Earth. Just a few things. <laughs> the full implications, because guess what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Last week, um, Nan preached on that amazing story about this guy named Paul who met the resurrected Jesus Christ and his whole life was changed. His whole life was turned upside down. And Paul spent the rest of his life writing about, preaching about, teaching about the implications of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few of his writings and what it says to us about our hope for our own personal lives, for personal change. So let's hear the reading, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, Marlo Burge and one of her daughters is going to read to us today. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace 
expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This This is is the the word word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to show you an image here of one of Michelangelo's most famous works of art. This is a sculpture of his called the Pieta. Um, It's a sculpture of the Mother Mary holding the crucified Jesus. Interestingly, this is the only um, work of art that Michelangelo ever signed. Um, It was installed in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome um, in the year 1500. And there it sat, uh, untouched, pristine, for 272 years until in 1972, um, during one of the daily tours, um, a vandal broke past security, um, rushed the statue, and began to smash it to bits with a hammer. Uh, he shattered Mary's arm, um, damaged her face, her nose, her veil, and her left eye. It, it, was, it, was a, it was a tragedy in the world of art. And, but what happened was is that over the next year, a team of experts <laughs> literally gathered up the minuscule shards, the shattered pieces of fractured marble, and began to painstakingly glue and piece the statue back together again, restoring it to its whole beautiful state where it still stands today. I want you to keep that image uh, in your minds today as a picture of what God wants to do with you, of what God wants to do in your life. I don't think I probably have to convince many of you in this room that you're damaged. You're damaged goods, friends. So am I. We all are. You can't live in this world with sorrow and suffering and evil, even for a few years, and not be affected by the traumas of evil and sin. We're all damaged. We all have parts of our lives that are shattered. We all have parts of our souls our lives, our bodies, our stories, our histories that are deeply broken. And we all know, I think, that we weren't made for that. We weren't made to be broken. We weren't created to be marred. We weren't weren't made by God uh, to be damaged. God made each of us to be beautiful. He made each of us to be whole, to bear the beautiful image of God that he implanted us. And yet, evil has rushed in and smashed us to pieces made us to a broken shadow of what we were meant to be. I think we all long for change. We long to be whole. We long to be the men and the women that we know God made us to be. But it's so hard to become that, don't you think? I, for one, find it incredibly elusive and difficult to enact change in the parts of my life that I know that need it. But here's the good news. God is the master rebuilder. He is the expert recreator. His commitment is to remake, restore, renew men and women, boys and girls, to restore his image in each of us, to make us again into this glorious, beautiful, whole people that he made us to be. This is God's agenda for your life, friends. If you have ever questioned what is God's purpose, what is God's agenda for your life, here it is to make you whole, to make you beautiful, to make you more like himself. 
fully human, fully like Jesus Christ, what he made you to be. And the key to all of this, the key to the transformative work of restoration that God wants to do in each of you is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the key to personal change. So we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about it in two ways. got two simple points today. First is that involves receiving resurrection, which means becoming who you were made to be. And then it involves practicing resurrection, which means becoming who you already are. And if that doesn't make any sense, it's okay. Hopefully it will by the end of the sermon. Okay. So let's first talk about that first point, receiving resurrection, becoming who you were made to be. Let's just jump right in. If you've got your Bibles and you want to open up to Ephesians 2, that's great. Or you can just listen. Um, Paul starts off here in chapter 2 with a very negative picture of human nature. Verse 1, he starkly says, you were, apart from God, apart from Christ, you were what? Dead in your transgressions and sins. He's speaking here about what he, in other places, calls spiritual death. And what he means by that is that every human being, apart from God's help, are spiritually dead, unable to respond to God, unable to reach out to him, cut off from God, cut off from life. This is terrible. This is the worst thing that could happen because we were made for God. We were made to be known by God, loved by God, to be in relationship with God. But because of sin, we are cut off from God forever. And notice the word he uses. He says, you are spiritually dead, not spiritually ill, not spiritually sick, not spiritually in a coma, but spiritually dead. It's not that we're a little confused and need some information. It's not that we're a little directionless and need some reorientation. No, he says, you're dead. And what do you do when you're dead? Nothing, right? I mean, I, I, I don't, I, you can't do anything. I don't know the last time you saw a dead person do something for themselves, comb their hair, brush their teeth, drive the car to the grocery store. I hope you didn't. Because if you did, you were seeing either a zombie or they were not dead, right? Because dead people, by nature of their deadness, cannot do anything for themselves. And this is what Paul says our situation is, is that we are unable to respond to God. We're spiritually dead, cut off from him, separated from him, shut out of life and shut out of beauty and shut out of hope forever. This is very, very bad news. But look at verse four because something changes. Put it up here. Look at this verse. Let's, let's all read those first two words together. Ready? But God. But God! But! One of the great, what do we call one of the great glorious conjunctions of the scripture. One of the beautiful buts of the Bible, right? But God. You are dead, conjunction God. When we could do nothing, when we were helpless, when we were unable to do anything for ourselves, but God, God acted, God intervened because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, unable to do anything, God made us alive together with Christ. God acted for us when we could not act for ourselves. And what did God do? Two things, two things, friends, that God did. First of all, he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the good news of the gospel, right? That we celebrated at Easter. Paul says in chapter one, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus died for your sin, but he didn't stay dead. If, if the cross was the only work that Jesus did, 
you would be just a forgiven corpse. And who wants to be that? But Jesus did not stay dead. God raised him from the dead and he triumphed over sin and death and evil forever. So that's the first thing God did to intervene in our situation. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the second thing he did, look what it says right there at the end. It says, we were raised with him. Even when we were dead in our sin, God made us alive together with Christ. He goes on to say, he raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ. He's saying that everything God did for Jesus Christ, he also did for us who belong to him. Everything that is true about Jesus now, now becomes true for us. His victory in the resurrection becomes our victory in and through him. This, this is a, a very powerful and mysterious concept that is challenging to understand. It's something that theologians have often called union with Christ. Union with Christ means that to be a Christian doesn't just mean to believe something about Jesus in your head. To be a Christian actually means that when you trust in Christ, God unites you with the risen Jesus Christ so that what is now true of him also becomes true of you. The best analogy that I think we have for this is uh, marriage. So some of you are married, and you know, when you get married, you are united to another person, and you receive both the benefits and the liabilities of that union, right? So if your partner has a whole lot of college debt, guess what? Now it's your debt. And if they have a big inheritance from their great-grandma, guess what? Now it's your inheritance, right? So you receive all of the benefits and all the baggage from your union with another person. What's theirs is yours. What's yours is theirs. Does that make sense? And this is what happens by faith when we trust in Jesus Christ. God unites us to Jesus Christ, who is now risen and ascended in heaven. And so what is true of him now becomes true of you. And what is true of you became true of him. So negatively, what this means is that all of the bad things about your condition, your sin, your judgment, the fact that you are facing God's wrath, all of that is passed to Jesus Christ given to him. So now there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. So negatively, what's yours is given to Jesus. And positively, what is his, his triumph over death, his victory over the grave, all of that gets passed to you. God made you alive together with Christ. So as Jesus was raised from the dead, so you are raised. As Jesus triumphed over the grave, so now you triumph. As Jesus has power over evil, so now you have that power over evil. What is his is yours, and what's yours is his. Sometimes this is called an alien righteousness. And that doesn't mean that you get righteousness from outer space, although that would be really cool. No, what that means is that you are you, you are credited with the rewards of another person's accomplishment on your behalf. And we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. Like say your sports team is on TV and you're at home watching your sports team, your favorite sports team, and you know they win the bowl game or they win the Super Bowl or they win the World Series or whatever. And you jump up off the couch and you say, yes, we won, we won. Well, 
really? Because you're eating nachos, right? <laughs> like, I don't see you out there on the field. I don't see you do anything. I see you stuff in your face. And yet, because of your own connection with the team, their victory now becomes your own victory, right? When your team wins, you experience the benefits of another person's triumph. And this is what has happened for us in Christ. In believing in Jesus, your life is bound to his, and so everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you, and it is given to you by grace. So let me conclude this first point. Here's what I'm saying. Here's the point of this. You were made for what? Wholeness. You were made to be a beautiful, whole, eternal human being who lives in a vibrant, reconciled relationship with God. But that's impossible on our own because of sin. But God, remember, but God, who is rich in mercy, made it possible through Christ in raising Jesus from the dead. He triumphed over sin and death. And now trusting in Christ, you are united to him and risen with him. In trusting in Christ, you are given a new identity. You are now in Christ. Listen, you are as loved and accepted and secure as if you had already died and were literally seated with Christ in heaven. That is how secure your identity now is in him. You are saved from death, forgiven of sin, reconciled to God, a child of the Father. You become through Christ what you were made to be, a child of the Father, reconciled to him forever. So here's just the first application of this first point. It's real simple. Have you received the benefits of Jesus' resurrection for you? Have you received it? Have you received this new identity that is now yours by grace? You know, this is so freeing. I mean, we, I, all my life, I, I don't know why um, I am this way, but all of my life I have been a driven achiever, you know, always striving to do more and be more and accomplish more and bolster my reputation and bolster my accomplishments. And you know what I discovered at some point along the way? That is utterly exhausting. And all of us, to a certain degree, if you're an American, are seeking to build our identity through what we achieve, you know, through your performance, through your reputation, through your work, through your accomplishments, through your physical appearance, all of these things. We're building these identities on what we achieve for ourselves. Friends, that is a recipe for exhaustion, burnout, depression, and hopelessness. Because anything you can achieve for yourself can always be taken away. But here's the good news. In Christ, you are given an identity, not that you achieve, but simply you receive. You're given an, an identity that is deeper than your accomplishments, deeper than your reputation, deeper than your physical appearance. You were given an identity, a subterranean security of your identity that is secure in the risen, reigning, and ascended Christ. You are in him. That's who you truly are. You are a person in, with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And no criticism, no circumstances, no tragedy can ever take that deepest part of who you are away. See how freeing that is? That makes for a joyful, freeing life because you know, finally, who you are. So that's receiving resurrection, becoming who you were made to be in and through the resurrection of Christ. But there's a second part to this, and that is practicing resurrection, becoming who you already are. Because you might be saying to yourself, okay, preacher man, if all this is saying you're true is true, why don't I feel any different? Right? Like, why do I 
Why do I still struggle in the same ways? Why do I battle in the same ways? Why am I still depressed? Why am I still addicted? You know, how does, how does this help me? How, how does what you're saying objectively true? I don't subjectively feel. Well, a couple things I want to say about that. First, it's vital to understand the principle of personal change that Paul lays out in his letters. So look what he says in Romans chapter 6. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, notice the logic there, guys. Notice the logic. Look what Paul does. He says, this is what's true of you. You were buried with him through baptism. You've been raised from the dead through Christ. All of this is true. You are in Christ. You're raised with Christ. You're seated with Christ. Therefore, he says, because of all of these amazing things that are true about you, now live a new life. Do you see how important that is? This is the exact opposite of the traditional message of religion. The traditional message of religion, if you look at this next slide, is a message of performance. If you live a new life, then God will save you. If you get your act together, if you clean up your life, if you're, you know, pray and have enough faith, then God will save you. That's performance. And that is a recipe for guilt for shame and for hypocrisy. The message of the gospel of grace is the exact opposite. It is God has saved you, therefore live a new life. You actually already have everything that you need because in order to do something new, guess what? You have to be something new. You have to have a new power and a new life and a new motivation inside of you. And this is now what is true of you when you trust in Christ, you are resurrected spiritually. You're transferred from spiritual death to spiritual life. Remember what we said two weeks ago, the resurrection is not just hope for the future. It's hope from the future. You actually have a, the living power of God's new resurrected world available to you here and now, the power that you need to live a totally new life. But here's the flip side. You're not yet arrived, right? Even though this is true of you, you are raised with Christ, you are seated with Christ, you have the power of the resurrection inside of you. We're all still living in this present world of sin and suffering. We all still labor in the same old ways. We limp along with the things that we struggle and strain and we stumble and fall. Here's this diagram from last week. Remember, you are right there in the already and the not yet. The new age is broken in. You are raised with Christ. You have the first taste of the new creation that is to come. And yet we still are living in this old present world bound by sin and evil. And so the Christian journey, the Christian life becomes a long journey of becoming who you already are, right? Becoming more and more, living out, practicing, being increasingly the resurrection person that God has already made you to be in Christ. I know this is hard to understand. Here's a couple of examples. I know we've got some Harry Potter fans here? Anybody? I'm one. Um, so in the first book, kids, if you remember the first book, Harry Potter doesn't know he's a wizard. He's living with his super boring aunt and uncle, and he's living in a closet under the stairs, right? And what happens? Well, one day on his 12th birthday, this big, huge guy named Hagrid shows up, and he says, Harry, you're a wizard, right? <laughs> Is that a good Hagrid? Impression. Yeah. You're a wizard, Harry. And, and, and Harry, 
It's amazing because Harry already is a wizard. He is by nature of his biological connection to his parents, but he has to learn to become by practice what he already is by nature. Does that make sense? He has to learn to become what he already is. Or I think another good example of this is parenting. It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you wonderful moms. Do you remember the day you became a mother? Do you remember that day? I know you do. I remember the day I became a father. I know you, and we all remember the day we became parents. And do you remember on that day, for me, it was September 1st, 2005. I remember the day I became a parent. You remember the day you became a mother. And you are a parent on that day. And then they hand you the child and you were like, oh my Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, right? None of us know what we're doing. And so even though you are a mother on day one, you have to learn to become over the years leaning into the fullness and the maturity of what it means to be a parent. You have to learn to become what you already were on the very first day of that birth. Does that make sense? Becoming who you already are. And so this is the practice of the Christian life. You learn to practice and increasingly become who you already are by nature of your new birth in and through Jesus Christ in your union with the resurrected Lord. So Paul says it like this in Colossians 3. He says, since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice what Paul does. He says, first of all, this is what's true. You've been raised with Christ. That's where you are. You're seated with him. So now that this is true of you, You've got work to do. You've got to get busy putting your new resurrection life into practice. And a couple of things, he's, ways he says to do that. First of all, you see there in verse two, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, Paul's not saying like, don't only think about church or only think about Christian stuff. That would be super boring. Um, you know, what he's saying is be careful about how you think about your identity, Right? Be careful about how you think about yourself. You need to work hard to remember and put into practice the truth of your new identity. Paul Tripp, an author, says this, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. No one, listen, brothers, sisters, listen. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. What he means by that is that all day long, we are having an ongoing internal conversation with ourselves. Hopefully, you're not talking out loud. Um, hopefully, this is internal. But all day long, you are organizing, interpreting, and analyzing your environment and your circumstances and what's going on inside of you. So you might be analyzing why you feel so tired or sad or depressed or happy, or you might be thinking back to your past and something that happened to you or surprised about how angry you got in a meeting or reliving a conversation you had. But all day long, you are involved in an internal conversation with yourself about yourself that, great, that greatly influences your attitudes and your behavior. Does that make sense? And the question is, what do you regularly tell yourself about yourself? What do you regularly tell yourself about yourself? Do your words to yourself encourage faith and hope and love? Or do they encourage and stimulate doubt and discouragement and fear? Do you remind yourself of who you are in Christ, that you were raised with him and have victory through him? 
Or do you remain stuck in your guilt and your shame and your hopelessness? Do your internal conversations help you live into the truth of your new identity? Or do they keep you stuck in your old identity of the past? No one is more influential in your life than you are because nobody talks to you more than you talk to yourself. And so in this internal dialogue, Paul says, set your minds on things above where Christ is, where you are seated with him. So for example, this week, when you are anxious or afraid, what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself that this circumstance is too big, out of control, that you can't fix it and you're overwhelmed by it? Well, Paul would say, set your mind on things above where Christ is. Don't you remember that you are united to the one who rules heaven and earth? Nothing, it's too big for you, but nothing is too big for him. And you are united to the one who is sovereign and powerful over all things, even your future. Look to him. He, you know, maybe you're feeling worthless or rejected. I know many of you struggle with a sense of worthlessness. Are you stuck in a false story about your own identity? Are you believing lies about yourself? Stuck in what someone else said about you, what someone did to you? What shameful lie are you believing about yourself? Paul would say, set your minds on things above. You are one with the risen Lord. In him, you are treasured, loved, secure. You are the beloved of God forever. Set your mind on things above. You know, if you struggle with feeling depressed or hopeless about your future, you're forgetting that you are in union with Christ. You're raised with him. You have a resurrection, a future hope. Set your mind. That's the first practice. Become who you are. Set your minds on who you already are in Christ so that you might become more like what you already are in him. Another thing that he talks about in this section of scripture is putting off and putting on. He uses an analogy of clothing in verses 5 through 14 to describe the practice of Christian identity, right? New identity requires new clothing. If I join the military tomorrow, I need to take off my civilian clothes and put on a new uniform, right? If I go to the hospital and become a nurse or a doctor, I take off one set of clothes and put on another in order to indicate my new identity. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, you have a new identity in Christ... And so you're called to put off that old way of life and to put on the new way that reflects your new identity in him. So Paul lays out all the old ways that God wants you to put off and to put on the new ways that reflect your new resurrection identity. So put off lies, put on truth, put off stealing, put on giving, put off bitterness, put on forgiveness, put off sexual immorality, put on purity, put off anger, put on patience, put off envy, put on gratitude. And we're called to do these things, not just because they're the, the right thing to do, but because they are now who you are, right? So in verse nine of this section, he says this, do not lie to each other. Listen to this. This is amazing. He says, do not lie. Why? Because it's one of the 10 commandments? Because it's, it's the wrong thing to do? Well, he doesn't say that. He says, do not lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. So the main reason why you shouldn't lie anymore is because it's not who you are. You are no longer that person. You know, I, I have often struggled with lying in my own life because I care too much about what people think about me. And so I exaggerate or I tell little white lies in order to make myself look better. But see, Paul is saying, that's not you anymore. 
You don't have to pretend like you're someone you're not because you are whole and new in Christ, being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator so you can be truthful, honest, brave, and free because this is now who you are. You are whole and unified with the resurrected Christ. Be who you are. I love that story of Augustine when, you know, Augustine, before he became a, a Christian, he was a notorious womanizer and sexual addict. And after he became a Christian, he began to try to put into practice the new resurrected life that was now his. And he once saw an old lover of his on the street and she cried out to him, Augustine, it's me. And Augustine cried back, yes, but it is not me. It's no longer me. I, I, I have been raised with Christ and he is now putting into practice this new life that is now Friends, you've been made new. You've been raised with Christ. Now practice resurrection, living as the people you have been made to be in Christ. This is hard work. It doesn't happen overnight, and it won't be finished until the new creation. But it, is, it requires our cooperation. Dallas Willard says, grace is opposed to earning, but is not opposed to effort. This requires work. You know, a daily process of reminding yourself of who you are, setting your minds on Christ, turning away from the old way of living, turning to the new ways instead, drawing on his grace that's available to you through prayer and surrender and the disciplines of Christian community and friendship and accountability and worship and confession and scripture meditation. As you put your new resurrection life into practice, you increasingly find yourself becoming who you already are and knowing greater measures of his joy, his hope, and his love. Become who you already are in Christ. So let me sum up, friends. God's vision for you is what? To make you new, to make you whole, right? To make you like himself, to renew you in the knowledge of the image of the creator, as Paul said. And he has made that possible through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has risen Jesus from the dead, and first you may receive the benefits of his resurrection as you are made alive with Christ, set free from spiritual death, united to him so that you are in Christ, Christ is in you. And then second, you have the very power of the resurrection in you so that you can increasingly become who you already are, practicing resurrection. So let me close with this question. I think this might be true for some of you. Where have you given up hope for yourself? That happens to me quite a bit. It's happened to me in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, yesterday, uh, my wife told me that the last couple of weeks, I have been critical and judgmental and negative and angry and hopeless and defeated and discouraged. And she's right. And um, even as I was preparing this message this morning, I felt like the Lord was speaking very directly to me, saying, Have, how dare you preach about this and not believe it yourself that it's true? How dare you? Right? Have you forgotten the power that is deposited in you through the power of the resurrection? Are you, you're living as a homeless beggar when you share in the rich inheritance of the risen Jesus Christ who has ascended in heaven? How dare you think so small and so pessimistic about yourself? 
Friends, it doesn't matter what your issues are. I don't care what your addiction is, what your habit is, what your character flaw is, what your struggle is, your fear, your brokenness, what you have done or what has been done to you. The resurrection can overcome and remake anything. Look at the disciples. Zacchaeus was a swindler. Peter was a coward. Paul was a murderer. Pretty sure you're not as bad as that. And yet these guys, through the power of the resurrection, became world changers. So who knows what God wants to do with you? So drop your pessimism. Lift up your hearts. See the risen Christ and that your life is united with him and with his. Christ is risen from the dead. And in him, you are too. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Maybe just for a moment, name something in your life that you know God wants to renew. Maybe, um, maybe you've never received the benefits of Jesus' resurrection. You want to do that now. You just want to say, Lord Jesus, I, I see that you have died and risen for me and I trust and receive the benefits of your resurrection on my behalf. I want to live my life no longer on my own, but with and in you. Maybe there's some part of your life that feels very out of control, uh, that you've really lost hope for, and you want to commit that to God now and ask him to give you the power and the strength from the resurrection of Jesus to get, put to work his resurrection power that is in you. Just speak to him now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are risen from the dead and thank you that you invite us to participate in your risen and ascended life. Give us faith to turn our eyes to you, to set our eyes and minds and hearts upon you and give us the energy and the readiness that we need to participate every day in becoming more and more the resurrection people that you have saved us to be. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.